Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we've got another amazing guest. We have with us Mr. Simon Fleming, who I'm sure you've all pretty much seen all over Twitter, who's um, a beacon of light for the NHS and healthcare in this country. He's an trauma and orthopedic surgeon. But what's interesting and cool about him is he's driving this campaign to kind of change the culture and the behaviour in terms of discrimination and bullying in the NHS. And we just want to spend some time today just speaking to him, hearing a bit more about it and what we can do to kind of help. Um, massive pleasure. Thank you for coming on to the show, Welcome Simon. To the show, Simon. No, no, thank, thank you for having me. It's, 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 it's always a pleasure to, to kind of come and do these things, even though it's massively cringe being introduced. Like, it, I've been doing <laughs> this for ages now and I still... I still hate it. It's just like having someone humble brag for you. It's like Simon's great. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> it just happens to be the way it is. But no, you've, you've, you're doing amazing work, and and it'll be a shame if it wasn't recognised. Um, and it kind of sets the tone for how we kind of want the rest of the recording. Yeah, yeah. We can't exactly sit here, Simon, and say he's done nothing, and yeah. we just brought him onto the show. Like <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> my mum that I'm doing good work and stuff but it's <laughs> I, I, I don't know it's it, it's always just a bit uncomfortable but but I get it yeah, I know and, and part of that yeah. is it is it's it's the credibility as well right it's like Simon Fleming's yeah. a guy mm. you should probably listen to but on the other hand mm. you don't want to be a dick and have people be like wow he thinks he's amazing and I'm like no I just yeah. I, I do what I think is right and it's useful yeah <laughs> no, <definitely. laughs> I agree um so we're gonna turn it down hey guys welcome back to show Simon's just that's an average bloke uh, he's doing some cool things in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so kind of before we talk about all the amazing work you're doing, the campaigns and, you know, what I believe is kind of a passion and your calling, tell us, you know, take us back to a very moment or time when you thought, do you know what, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a surgeon um, and kind of guide us through that journey very quickly. Um, so I was talking about this with my mum, weirdly, my mum's come up twice now. I'm sure like if this was therapy, you'd be like, tell me more about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was talking about this with my, my mum a couple of days ago because I did one of those kind of alumni profiles at my medical school mm. and they asked, you know, a very similar question. So as far as my mum's concerned, I always wanted to be a doctor. Like I never <laughs> went through that phase of like, you know, I never wanted to be a footballer or Superman or any of that sort of stuff. Like I was all, I always wanted to be a doctor. Now, you know, there's loads of evidence about why that is. And part of it has to be that my, my dad was a doctor, but um, interestingly, they tried to put me off the whole time. Dad, dad and mum both were like, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm. Don't do it. So dad was like a single handed North London GP. He was like, mm. or before there was any of these like big multi-clinic things, it was him and four mm. and a half thousand patients. And he worked seven days oh, a week. Wow and did on calls and blah, blah, blah. So they tried to put me off. Like even, <laughs> I found out later, right? Um, <laughs> when I did work experience that my dad pulled in a favor, not to get me work experience. My dad pulled in a favor to get me paired with like the most burnt out, miserable junior doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he like called around and was like, who's the person who's the least happy in their job? And, and I found yeah. this out recently because I then worked at that hospital as a trainee and the, yeah. boss who, the boss who I'd shadowed was still there. And he was like, let me tell you a story about your dad. He dropped me a yeah. call and was like, I really don't want Simon to be a doctor. So can you just find me someone who's going to put him off? But I, I always wanted to be a doctor. And, and it's only, mm. 
you know, I did the whole the whole kind of medical school interview thing where you're like, I like science and I want to help people. Mm. Uh, and only in more recent years that I've realized that that's not quite right. Um, yeah. I like fixing things. I like having mm. a problem and I identify it. And then I am, uh, you know, if you get into like the leadership literature around like, again, it, it's all really cringe language, like visionary mm. stuff. I like having a big vision. I like being like, like this, here's a problem and let's work together to fix it. Um, mm. uh, but I, I like to look kind of long-term as well as short-term. So here's a quick problem. I can fix that today. High fives all round, but also here's mm. a big problem. And what I realized is I became a doctor because I want to fix people. And then mm. once I was a doctor, I started looking at other stuff that I could, I could fix. So I went to, you know, I went to, um, I was reflecting on this recently, actually. So I went to Barts in the London, uh, and I was that guy. Like I was the student union guy. I was like a member yeah. of every club, every society. Uh, was out every night back in the days when you could leave the house and it, you didn't get like a ten thousand pound fine. Um, oh, wow! <laughs> but, but equally, like I reflect on it now, and I I was also that that guy. I was. I, you know, I, I'm, I reflect on it now and I'm pretty sure there were loads of times now that when my behavior was just not okay, but I grew mm. up in, in, in that culture whereby it, that I didn't know any better. And, mm. and now I do. And I look back on it a little bit with a, like that kind of shudder of like, I wish someone had just given me a tap on the shoulder and been like, do you want to not do that or say that or behave that mm. way? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, it's, it's weird when you reflect on, on the way careers move and change. So back in the day, back in the olden days, right, of mm. like 2006, um, uh, the way it used to work was when you finished medical school, you basically got an F1 job where you went to medical school, like on the patch. That was just how mm. it was. Um, and the way it used to work is old school nepotism. So <laughs> you would basically spend your fourth year and final year aggressively sucking up um, because you would then go round in your final year and you would hand your CV like with a passport photo to all the bosses that you'd done firms and placements with and if they liked you you'd be their house officer and that was oh yeah. wow that yeah. was basically it right and yeah. everyone worked on their local patch and it was fine and and because I was that guy like everyone knew who I was and and I was really confident that I was going to get the jobs I want I was going to get my like house officer job at Newham and then my first mm -hmm. episode was the Homerton or the Royal London. And I had my whole career planned out ahead of me. And then something called modernizing medical careers happened. And it was um, one of the best and worst things that ever happened to me. So modernizing mm -hmm. medical careers basically re was the beginning of what we know now in terms of like, you know, the white space questions and Oriel and all that. Yeah. Stuff, uh, yeah. right? And and we got an email. I was on elective. I was a final year. And it was like, fill out these questions and you'll get your house officer jobs. And I was like, okay. And so on the, you know, the question about leadership, I like copied in some bullet points from my CV. Like I've captain of this, secretary of that, mm. color for this, blues for that. And I got no points because it turned out that it was all about reflection, right? You you give your little example mm. and you're like, and this is why I'm a better person. So I, I didn't get a house officer job, which in the day was unheard of like oh, wow. but I, I wasn't alone there were there were hundreds of doctors all over the uk who suddenly didn't have house officer jobs because 
it was the first time ever that people could apply outside of their region. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, we had Nottingham grads and Leicester grads and Exeter grads coming to London, and there were all these London people like. Oh, did, what, what did you feel like they were coming to take your jobs? <laughs> yeah, <it was> really, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, but, there was, but again, it's interesting. You because like obviously you're alluding to like these these people from the Midlands coming over here taking our jobs. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? It's that same visceral human reaction actually of like mm. um, it, it's not me. It must be them. Like there's failing can't lie in me. I've been screwed by the system and yeah. And actually, to be fair, like don't get me wrong, the system was was balls but what it forced me to do after i got past exactly that reaction of like this isn't fair i you know i've been hard done by it it forced me for the first time i think ever in my adult life to really take a long hard look in the mirror and be like okay why like where where are my weaknesses and flaws and it was it was one of those really humbling failures because I've got a lifetime of failures. Like I can talk for hours about all the times I've screwed up, but it was definitely one of the bigger ones in my life where I had to look in the mirror and go, "Yeah, okay, fine." Everyone's agreed that the new MMC system is is silly, and mm. you know there was all these kind of failures of communication. But actually, maybe one of the reasons why I wasn't successful is is down to me and down to some things I need to change. Mm. Um, and so I got uh, 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 my house officer job, what we now know as foundation year one jobs, they, they just started, they were a yeah. brand new thing, right? Uh, in Derby instead. And I, oh, was, wow. I was the new guy, right? So I went from being, you know, the the lad, lad, the lad. The cool kid in the block. Yeah, right, like the, yeah. Big, fish, the big fish in the little Yeah. Pot. And I went mm. to Derby where I was the new kid. And suddenly you didn't have that social capital where everyone, you know, you can get away with murder because, ah, oh, you know what he's like. And I was, and again, it forced me to be like, uh, you know, am I the asshole here? And you, and, and it's interesting when you have those mirrors held up to your, the way you behave, the way you act and who you are, you either have a choice. You have like that, the, the option to have a fixed mindset and be like, this is who I am. This is how I am. You know, that whole thing of like, well, if you don't like me, you can just get out my life. Yeah. Or you can have yeah. a growth mindset and be like, there are certain things about the way I act and behave that maybe they were cool in the union when I was 18. And even then, they they probably weren't that cool. Well, yeah. right? <laughs> but, but at least they were in a sort of psychological safe space because... It was so exclusionary that people who didn't think it was cool never came out, right? That's the whole point of yeah. those kind of clubs is is they, by by definition, exclude people who don't fit in. Um, and and suddenly I was like, I, you know, I, I think I need to really re-examine the kind of person I am and how I behave and how I act and how my behavior and actions impact others because these people don't know who I am. So if I'm a dick, they're just going to tell me. Or, and, and they, and it was actually great, even though it was very difficult at the time because I felt very isolated and, and detached from my support network because everyone I knew was in the East End. Um, yeah. It actually was like a real turning point for me. And it was kind of from there, I, I kind of did the usual things and I realized more and more that I was more of a surgeon than a, a physician. Yeah. And again, that's, that's all the like, I like to fix stuff. So, you, you know, I started work and I saw how physicians work and I saw how surgeons work. 
and I was like, yeah, I'm more, I'm more goal orientated. I quite like the team that you get in in surgery. There, there is a different flavor of team. Um, mm. uh, so I did my foundation jobs in the Midlands, and and then I'd kind of become comfortable moving around. So I was like, I'm gonna go try something else out. So I went and did my core down in in Wessex in Portsmouth. Um, right, and but it was a busy job, and again. It was it was there that I kind of did loads more orthopedics and was like, yeah, I'm definitely a pod. But it was also there that I first experienced the kind of less good sides of orthopedic culture, which is nothing to do with yeah. at all. It is to do with with spending more time in any specialty, you get more of a flavor of it. So it was there where I started to really witness the kind of the hierarchy stuff yeah. and the the infantilization stuff because I was a core trainee, right? So I was ready to. I was expecting to be part of the part of the club again, and yeah. like, you know that that wasn't necessarily the case, and it was that weird disconnect because all the consultants there and all the registrars there were just the best people. They they were just they were good trainers and they were good human beings, and yet there were mm. still these moments uh, between you know ortho and other specialties and us or specialties and us and ortho and ortho where you're like. Yeah, what's going on here? Wait a minute. Yeah, right. Like this, this is not just this isn't everything I was promised. But like, there are times when I'm really don't want to come into work, and I was kind of looking forward to that, wanting to come into work feeling. And actually, it was after that, the the kind of two years in core, I I um did what a lot of people now do after foundation. So I took some time out. I was like, I I need to I need another one of those like reflection moments. Like what, mm. what do I want in life? Who am I? What's going on? Sort of thing. So I, I took a year out and um went and was a teaching fellow. Uh so I came back to Barts in the London. I couldn't afford to live in London, so lived in Chelmo in Essex, but but was a teaching fellow. And it allowed me to have a bit of breathing space mentally. Um, you know, my C V was pretty good i'd been flogging myself because after i'd not gotten that foundation job i was like, yeah. like part of the failing maybe is i need to work harder like maybe maybe i've let you know i, I again medical school I, I passed my exams by enough to pass and i was like maybe i need to work harder maybe maybe i'm a mm. bit of a slacker as well because i'm having a bit not too much fun but i'm my priorities are a bit disproportionate mm. and so i'd worked for four years and i was like i I don't feel like I have anything to show for it. I've got a great CV, but I still feel a bit lost. Mm. And so during that teaching year, I was able to do loads of other stuff that had always been my passion. So like the education yeah. side of things. So I was able to become a PBL tutor and do some teaching in the developing world. And I'd been interested in, so I was, um, I was a medical student at the Royal London on the 7-7 bombings. Uh, oh, the weirdest day um but i'd always wanted to know more about it so i was like you know i'm gonna do a, i'm gonna do a master's i want to get better at science like i'm rubbish with numbers i was like i want to be better at the science stuff i'm fine mm. at clinical skills and operating and comm skills but i'm a i'm a rubbish scientist so not only do i want to tick some boxes right because points mean prizes but i yeah. i i want to be better at this stuff and i want to know more about that really weird day that I had when I was a medical student and London was yeah. um, 
so I was able to do that, you know, because I suddenly had time. I was a teaching fellow. I, I was able to turn around to my boss and go, look, boss, can I have Wednesday afternoons and Fridays off? And she was like, yeah, sure. Sounds reasonable. You're doing, you know, you're doing a master's. Sounds good. Um, and at the end of that year, I was so much happier in myself that I was like, do I want to, do I want to go, go back? back? Do I want to <laughs> sure, right? I don't. I, because, but but there was that bit of me that again was like, yeah, because when it's good, it's great. When the job is good, it's great. It's just when it's not, it can be really miserable, really bad, mm, and absolutely. yeah. Um, so I I was like, well, look, in for a penny, in for a pound. So I went out to Oz mm. for a year, and I. Um, oh, wow. How was that? So that was that was cool, to be fair. And again, at mm. the time, I was. It's really difficult because I, I don't want to be that like back in my day because but it shows how far we've come so at the time mm, yeah. everyone i spoke to consultants and trainees was, was like don't do it don't do it mm. you've already wasted one year doing all this medical education rubbish don't do yeah. it yeah and i was like <laughs> and the problem is i'm the people who work with me know this i was like well now you've said don't do it i'm definitely gonna do it i'm gonna do yeah, like yeah. you really should have encouraged me and then i'd have been like wait is this a trap but because they said <laughs> i was like fine hell yeah I'm yeah gonna go. right? it's the road less traveled and it's what i want to do and it feels right so i i was able to go out to australia and and i worked for a year in like a semi-rural hospital so kind of not quite absolutely nowhere but not a big city um mm. we'd we'd it's like a city that we'd consider a suburb like it i think ah, okay. it's a population yeah. of like seventy thousand people it had like yeah you know three pubs two restaurants a cinema but it had a beach and it had a decent hospital and i was like Sweet. okay um yeah. but also i wanted i wanted to see whether i wanted to do orthopedics anymore because mm. that voice in my head that was like you really really do like you love it and that other voice was like do you though and i i went out there and i i kind of decided to see whether i had it in me to work really hard again so mm. i just put my head down and i did tried to find the balance that I didn't have or hadn't had before in my life of the like work hard play hard so mm -hmm. every six to eight weeks I went on a diving holiday or I did something really cool but when I mm -hmm. wasn't I was working like working hard Super, um, yeah. so I like had my own radio show and I did loads of work with the university and helped them set up OSCEs and all kinds of stuff and I was like oh, I love this this is what mm. it meant to feel like, right? Um, and and part of it was also, I was it was probably the first time for a long time that I was treated with respect, um, which sounds really weird, but because I was out there as a, as a registrar, um, mm. uh, and and I, I it, it's weird, right? Because most people would be like, "Sweet, I'm being treated with respect, moving on," but because I'm me, I was like, "Why? Why?" What's changed between today and yesterday that suddenly means, and it's all about the power differential, right? And the hierarchy. Yeah. Suddenly I'm a registrar, so suddenly, suddenly people are being nicer to me and yeah, not talking to your, me like I'm an idiot. Your opinions hold weight, and right, it, it didn't. And again, even that, I was like, that's not right. Like I, mm. it's not like I was a child six months ago. Yeah. I've been a doctor for four and a half years. Um, mm, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I did that for a year, and then I came back and kind of did a trust grade job, and then I got into orthopedic training, mm. and 
and then like a lot of the stuff that we talk about now that I guess I'm probably here for now started mm. because so there's this amazing organization which if you want to be an orthopod you have to be a member of mm. basically you don't have to I would encourage you to which is BOTA the British Orthopedic Training Association mm. so mm. they represent all orthopedic trainees from medical school up through to the, the end of your training mm. and I hadn't wanted to join them until I had an orthopedic training number I felt number they they, they would have taken me but there was that mm. bit of my imposter syndrome that was like, I don't want to be in those rooms until I can hold my head up high and say like, yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I'm a and, and I became part of BOTA and was able to do more representative work, more advocacy mm. work. But again, the more, the more I did, the more I knew, the more I started to see all the things that felt not quite right to me around, mm. primarily around my two main passions right which is education and culture mm. and so i kind of stepped up and became the education rep and started advocating for better training different training and again i'm i'm that guy right so i i would ask the difficult questions i i mm. like, yeah we've done this for the last hundred years but has anyone considered not mm. like has anyone asked you know or, or just is it just me, but doesn't this system seem really unfair? Or mm. doesn't this only seem to suit one group of people? And mm. the general answer was, well, you, but you know, it's how we've always done it. Like, like it works. Mm, don't, don't mess with it. Don't and, fix something if it's not broken. Yeah, and, and I didn't want to end my career. Like I'm a brand new orthopedic registrar. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then one of the challenges as, as I became more senior in the organization, so I became vice president, um, mm. was I would suddenly be having meetings with, you know, the GMC or the Royal College, like big, important organizations. Mm. One of the challenges they would always have is I would say something, you know, um, we think this, we feel that. And the pushback was always, um, yeah, but that's you saying that. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm here as vice president of VOTA. And they go, yeah, yeah but... But you can't really speak for everyone, can you? And I was like, well, yeah. we have all these people feeding into us and we have regional reps. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a democratically elected representative. And they'd say, mm. yeah, so tell me how a woman who's a person of color, who's less than full time, feels about this. You tell me. Mm. Yeah. And again, it was another one of those like lightning bolt moments where my knee jerk reaction was to be like, you don't know, you're not my real dad. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I realized then what I now know is mm. privilege, right? Yep. It, mm. It's white male privilege. I was like, I'm, I have every right to be here and my opinion carries weight and whatever. But actually I, we, we as an organization realized that we had loads of privilege and loads of power, but, but power is just like electricity or the force or magic right mm. not good or bad it is it's all about what you do with it do with it so mm. so it was at that stage that the organization the president at the time myself and others decided to do a census and try and find mm. out actually what our membership really did want and yeah. really did feel um and when we were designing it, there were loads of questions about, you know, progression and exams and careers and study leave and all that sort of stuff. 
and I was like, I, I feel like there's something around culture. Like I feel like orthopedic culture isn't quite right. Mm. And by then I'd been, you know, I'd been an orthopod on and off for years. So it was really what I knew. And I was like, you know, and people keep talking about us like we're all assholes. And I wonder if maybe we are. <laughs> and, and that's part of the problem. And so we did this census and we asked about bullying, undermining and harassment. And the data came back with this. Well, it showed that we had a problem with bullying, undermining and <laughs> it showed that what I'd felt inside was evidence-based. And yeah. so then we went away and did more digging and found that, um, you know, there was evidence across healthcare that this was a thing. And it was just that everyone knew that this was a thing, but no one seemed to really either care or be willing to do anything about it. Do anything about it. Yeah. And, and so when I became, when I stood for president, because it's, it's not like succession planning, I was like, look, the hill I'm going to die on is I'm going to try mm. and do something about culture in orthopedics. Everyone was like, sure. Good luck, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was kind of where it all started. And I thought it would be like yeah. a passion project. I thought it would be a thing I did for a year or 18 months. But what came of it was, was really interesting. So number one, I was surprised at how much pushback I got. I got loads of support, but I also had loads mm. of people being like, there isn't a problem. It's not a thing. Why are you rocking the boat? Your career is over. Mm. You know, what are you trying to change? All that sort of stuff. And also the number of people, the flip side of the people who weren't orthopods are other specialties coming out of the woodwork and going, yeah, like us too. This is yeah. the flavor yeah. of discrimination in cardiothoracics or this is what bullying looks like in pediatrics or whatever. Mm. And it just it just took off and it went from what I thought was going to be like a raising awareness piece of work. Like we should be aware that, mm. that these yeah. behaviors are not okay to a much bigger piece of work, which increasingly has become what I'm known for, which is around changing culture in healthcare. And, mm. and it started this kind of snowball effect whereby it went, it turned into a culture change project, which is a whole different kettle of fish. That's like, you know, getting people to wear seatbelts, stopping people from smoking, like yeah, that yeah, level it's... stuff, because you've got this spectrum of, of people in healthcare and, mm. and they are the same as the spectrum of people in the street. So at one end of the, of the spectrum, you've got the villains, right? Like people who got into healthcare, mm. they want power. They want power <laughs> and they want prestige and privilege and they want awards and they want you know, the free, the free, they walk into their patient's restaurant and they get a free meal. Like they want that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they want trainees because they want minions and people that they can feel yeah. bigger than and smarter. Than. Yeah. Right. And, and they become trainers, not because they care about your well-being or your progression, but because they want to be able to tell you how small and stupid you are mm. and how smart mm. they are and how good they are. <laughs> and then you've got the people at the other end of the spectrum right and they're the angels and they're just as hard to manage because they will tell you that there is no problem they've never seen it they've never <laughs> witnessed it right there is no racism in healthcare there is no sexism in healthcare <laughs> there is no bullying in healthcare there isn't any hierarchy everyone calls them by their first names everything's great and you're like no but there, no. there is and they're like no there isn't and we saw it we saw it <laughs> 
we saw it play out on a national level even this this year or last year i guess with black lives matter right so mm. powerful people good people were like well no all lives matter and you're like yeah no th they do but mm. what we're saying is right now the discussion we're having at this immediate time is around <laughs> the issues around racism and black people and they're like yeah no but you don't understand it's not and you're like you are clearly a good person with a good heart but you don't you can't see it you can't see what we're talking about and then you've got everyone in the middle right and everyone in the middle is just normal people who have good days and bad days and they make mistakes and they say stupid stuff and sometimes they behave like an asshole and sometimes they don't and it's not because they're a bad person it's because that individual moment of behavior was unacceptable and and really that's your target audience right because the villain mm. are never going to change they they mm. they just it's it's not a thing they're never going to suddenly go oh i've i've been skeletal for the last 40 years how can i become a good guy now yeah and and the angels the angels will sometimes change but it is a real battle mm. yeah because it feels to them like they're being held accountable or responsible or even blamed for the sh the crappy behaviors of others everyone else yeah and and part of that comes into the wider thing which is healthcare loves a bit of blame right yeah mm. and, and a great example is you know i was talking about i was probably kind of an asshole when i was at medical school um i, I mean to be fair I, i'm probably an asshole now and then now and someone on twitter <laughs> recently said um you know mr fleming have you ever told um a, a racist joke like a really racist joke like one mm. that no one can misconstrue like out and out yeah. and i was like yeah absolutely i have and they were like right well i think i think you should uh resign i think you oh, should wow. stop yeah. all the work you're doing i think i think mm. it is hypocritical for you to be doing any work in this field if you yourself are a racist yeah. and i was like oh, okay um well firstly I've, I've always said that i apologize unreservedly for in the past when i've been a knob uh mm -hmm. and i was like and and number one if i've ever behaved in a way to you that you feel is unacceptable i'm happy to chat to you about it but if you feel that it's so unacceptable my behaviors are so unacceptable that you don't want to talk to me about them um this is the name of my program director this is my gmc number you need mm. to you think is right mm. and i was like but are you looking to blame and punish or are you looking to change mm. and they were like i want both <laughs> and i was like well, oh, yeah <laughs> I was like, because if you if you want to punish me, if you want me to step down and resign, uh, and and you report me to the GMC and all, like, fine, okay. I was like, but what, what? How does that make things better? How does yeah. that improve the world we exist in? What's your plan? And they were mm. like, that's not the point. And I was like, that's really the point, isn't it? Mm. And, and there's a really interesting model around culture change and difficult conversations um the vanderbilt cup of coffee model and it basically mm -hmm. is, is like an uh, a way of having difficult conversations so for example if if you 
you know, I'm I'm watching you on the wards, and you mm. um, keep making slightly slightly sexist remarks, right? I'm sure you wouldn't, but you you know, every now and then you're like, uh, "That's what she said," and that kind of stuff. Mm. And either I see it or it's reported to me. You and I could have a cup of coffee conversation. So um, it's an informal chat. There's no record of it. There's not like a you know Zoom link or whatever. There's not minutes. Yeah. Hey, look, can I? Can I? Can I <laughs> a second, and and we have like a reflective chat about mm. your behaviours, how it makes me feel, how it makes other people feel, and the mm. evidence suggests that most people will change their behaviour, change their behaviour on the basis mm, of that yeah. conversation. However, what their model then goes on to say is um, there are certain things that bypass the cup of coffee. There are certain behaviors mm. that, of course, um, you know, if if I see you hit another junior doctor, like on the mm. ward, you just throw a punch. Um, uh, that instantly bypasses the cup of coffee, right? We're, we're not talking about that. That is instantly to the next level or even the level above. So that mm. when they talk about either a, an apparent pattern or a pattern that persists. Yeah. Um, so, so the first one, right, is a cup of coffee. The second one is uh, what they call an awareness intervention. So that might be where we have a proper meeting. Hey, man, can mm. you come in, uh, in my office? Blah, 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 blah. We need to talk about how you behaved because that's yeah. unacceptable. You know it. I know it. We're not. This isn't like a don't be a dick conversation. This yeah. is you've crossed the line. Yeah. Hey, you do it again. The next week, you are still making sexist jokes after we've had mm. a cup of coffee and we've mm. had like a, yeah, seriously, stop that. Then you get into what's called a guided intervention by authority. So it's not me anymore. It's mm. my boss or your boss's boss. And they sit you down and they go, seriously, um, these behaviors are not acceptable. We've told you why. We've supported you in how to change. And if you need a trip on a, uh, you know, a equality and diversity course or whatever, that's, that's going to happen. That's kind of mandated now because you've crossed the mm -hmm. line, you've got this persisting pattern. And then they say, um, the tip of the pyramid, if you like, is the no change. Mm -hmm. So that's, you keep doing it. So we've had a cup of coffee. We've had a conversation in my office. We've had me and a boss and someone from HR go, seriously, stop it mm -hmm. and go on this course. You still don't change then you get what's called a disciplinary intervention. So that is a very important person saying, um, if you don't stop, you're fired. Or mm. if you don't stop, you're going to the GMC. This isn't, yeah. there's no more like, how does this make you feel stuff? Yeah. Stop it. And and the, the point is, most people, the majority of people, like 90 plus percent of people just need the cup of coffee. They just need. Yeah. To, oh well. Wow. Yeah. You know what? Um, the way you speak to medical students is is really disrespectful, or you mm. keep using male pronouns, and it's been noted mm. that you basically only ever speak about men to men, even when there are women present. Like yeah. you may not even be aware, and because most people in the middle of that spectrum, right? You're not an angel. You're not a villain. You'd be like mortified. You'd be like Jesus. Mm. Really? Was that? Yeah. That me? Yeah. And that's and that's the biggest challenge with the work I'm doing is hmm. changing culture 
is about changing people's beliefs. It's about how we do everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, and and it requires a certain amount of living your values and uncomfortable conversations that mm. are really difficult because mm. some of those conversations mean either admitting that you you made a mistake or that you are working in a system that has made a mistake. So I, mm. I talk a lot about the fact that that the the system that we exist in at the moment, healthcare, is not broken. I don't like that narrative that it's broken and needs repair. Mm -hmm. It mm. was made this way. Healthcare yeah. was designed by old white guys to further the careers of younger white guys that they liked. Mm. Um, yeah. And nobody else was really meant to succeed in that system. But to be fair, that system never imagined two people like you, right? They never yeah, imagined yeah. two people of color having jobs, let alone being doctors. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't imagine it, right? They couldn't imagine yeah. a world where women worked in healthcare. So why would yeah. they design a shift pattern, a system of assessments or exams or anything that allowed so for women or the LGBTQ community? And you've got to remember, yeah. mm. I don't fit in. Because mm. they never imagined a world where someone would speak truth to power and not go, oh, I'm, so I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, boss. But be like, no, mm -hmm. actually, you, you know, this is wrong. These behaviors are mm. not acceptable. And once we accept that the system isn't broken, it was built that way, then you can get your head into that idea of wanting to change it into something better and move away from blame to something mm. far more powerful. So there's, there's, you know, this whole quote from Maya Angelou about like, you, no one can expect you to be better until you know better. But once mm. you know better, you, you should and must do better. Better, right? Yeah. If no one tells you. How are you gonna no know? No one has ever told you that you're doing something wrong, ever, 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 mm. ever, ever. And it's not an you know, a terrible thing. So you're not hitting people or sexually assaulting people or those kind of things that are just inherently like everyone knows they're wrong. Yeah. If someone said, actually, you know what? Those jokes you tell are just not acceptable. And let me explain why. Mm -hmm. Then there is an there is a, a suggestion that you really can't be expected to do better until someone has gone either individually or on mass. Um, mm. this is how we can be better and and what's great is there's now increasingly tons of evidence out there about why it matters right so it's not just like I'm some snowflake millennial crying into my latte right <laughs> um, we know that the behaviors I'm talking about right bullying harassment mm. discrimination lack of respect we know that those behaviors cost billions of pounds every year in sick days and complaints and all the rest. Yeah. And mm. we know, we know that those behaviors affect your performance and the performance of people around you. Yeah. Absolutely. Which means we know that those behaviors harm patients. Yeah. Mm. So even if you're like, you know, Fleming needs to pipe down and get back in his box and mm. stop telling us to all, all, you know, be nicer to one another, it's not about being nice, right? Because you can have toxic niceness. Because niceness mm. suggests you don't challenge these behaviors either. 
True. Yeah. yeah. Recognizing that for both the profession and our patients, if we can move towards a change of culture whereby we treat people with respect and we mm. don't have these toxic patriarchal hierarchical systems, we can make things better. And mm. and that it's not just the job of one person, it's everyone's responsibility. But that if you mm. have some power, right, it's the Spider-Man principle, right? With great power comes mm. responsibility. If you yeah. have some power, you kind of do have a duty to use it to try and make stuff better. Because mm. otherwise the standard you walk past is the standard that you're accepting. You're saying, yeah, mm. well, that guy's a bit racist, but he's a great surgeon. No, no, no. Mm. That sentence should stop it is a bit racist and you need to go do something about that. Yeah. So yeah, that's have Simon, have you have you ever had a because you're having all these difficult conversations, have you ever had a moment where you thought, shit, this could actually affect my career or these consultants might oust me or I might be rejected from all these firms or how will it affect my career trajectory? Have you ever had those thoughts? pass your mind or even experienced a moment where you thought shit definitely so there are different kinds of of advocacy and allyship and not mm. everyone can or should be like the screaming from the rooftops kind of advocate yeah. like like i am and again you've got to remember that i say this knowing that i have a certain amount of privilege right I, I was going I, to say, certainly, yeah, right. Certainly earlier in my career, I undeniably had opportunities and access and was able to get away with stuff that other people might not have been able to right? Um, if mm. a five years ago or six years ago, if a woman or a person of color or someone from the LGBT community had been doing what I was doing, I, if I'm honest, I think it would have been far easier for people to shut them down because that is how the yeah. system is designed, right? And and I'm very, very aware of that. And mm -hmm. yet, and yet, there is there is still a power dynamic. And, you know, I'm... So, ignoring the fact that I'm fat and Jewish, so I have had my own, like, different experiences. Um, since I started this work, I have had explicit and and hidden threats made towards my career. So I have mm -hmm. had people say, um, mm. uh, you'll never work in this city, or you'll never work mm. in this specialty, or you need to keep your head down because uh, you'll never be a consultant. I've been told I will never be a consultant. And what you realize is, that's uh, just not true. Mm, yeah. um, now, don't get me wrong. There are some places, some cities, some hospitals, that I probably would struggle to get a job in because mm. I have made it clear that I'm that guy. I'm still that guy, right? Yeah. The one who puts his hand up and says, that's not fair or that's not right. Yeah. And, and it is a choice I have made and I make mm. it knowing that I have uh, limited my options in some senses, but on the other hand, I've expanded my options because there are other places that would want me for the same reason. Like we want, exactly. you know, if you if you were a hospital or a unit that wanted to be better, you wanted happy trainees, happy doctors, happy patients. You wanted better GMC trainee survey rankings. 
you wanted yeah. a training and you'd hire me right mm. yeah. but you'd hire me knowing that i'd probably still give you headaches because i'd turn up and be mm. like well the problems are this 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 and this <laughs> and you know this is this is why and this is what we need to do but no absolutely and i and and part of allyship is not necessarily always putting yourself on the line so mm. you know if you if you see something happening and you are like i i don't want to get involved in this yeah i'm i'm brave but i'm not that brave and mm. i'm still aware that i don't have as much power as that person you know there are people there are people i wouldn't challenge because i'm not mad um and that's why again you need other allies so you go to someone nearer to them in their in their power structure or you go to the yeah freedom to speak up guardian in your hospital or you mm. you reach out to your trade union or you do so you know you the, the classic one is kind of um uh you've heard of microaggressions so that's where yeah that's you know the classic one is um uh someone might say here is dr simon fleming and here is uh sarah so-and-so like they don't get their title mm. for example that's a microaggression well, you can do little things like you can do a micro affirmation. So I might say, you know, I might not want to go, hey, are you aware just how everyday sexist that is? I might instead mm. say, well, to be fair, Sarah is more of a doctor than than I I ever will be. So seeing as we only seem mm. to have one title going around, I think she should have it. You know, yeah. you, can, mm. you can you can do little things that still challenge those behaviors i mean the classic one is just to ask a question so someone will say well you know what women are like and you go no what are women like mm. <laughs> that would throw a lot of people off yeah and they'll go um well you know you know what i mean i really don't what what, no. what do you mean and you just sit there like, with a smile on your face like no please yeah. please explain to me what women are like i'm i it, mm. it, it lost on me and they're like uh, mm. uh fine yeah. And, and, <laughs> and so there are different ways of challenging these behaviors that don't require you to always be like me and, and, yeah. and have, because on one hand, I love it. On the other hand, it, it is a big responsibility to, to Absolutely. be that guy and, and have that expectation. And I have undeniably upset certain people and organizations <laughs> And yeah. and I did that very much with my eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. um, it was a choice I've made, and the consequences of that are X, Y, and Z. And and yeah. that mm -hmm. that you know that's the whole thing about freedom of speech, really, right? Because you'll get a lot of people telling you some blah blah freedom of speech, blah blah mm. snowflakes again, and and you know you see mm. that on social media all the time. And I I'm fully support freedom of speech you can say what you want honestly mm. you can mm. however you therefore have to accept the consequences consequences yeah and, and that's the point right and the consequences of some of the stuff i've done are x y and z but i knew that going into them and yeah. and the other challenge of course is mm. is i've set a certain standard that i've said look this is this is the the way i think people should behave and act but it means that by definition when i make mistakes and i make mistakes all the time mm. 
people pick you me up. just get destroyed. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can imagine and you. you to, and you have just... no choice but to go, you're absolutely right. I'm really yeah. sorry. And I will try and do better. And yeah, like mm. on your head be it, right? You you mm. you have you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And it it's the nature of the beast, right? So when I've made mistakes, people have, have called me out on it. And what blows their mind is I'm like, thank you. You put your hand up. Yeah. Like that's what you know, there was um there was a case once where uh, I raised raised some concerns about someone I was working with. Hmm. Um, clinical, not not actually about their behaviour at all. Um, hmm. And I did it very very quietly, and they were then approached and they said, "Well, actually, Simon Simon bullies me, and that's why my oh, wow. performance is so bad." And they came back to me and they said, "Look, um, they've said that that you're a bully, and that's why you're reporting them, and that's why they've made these mistakes." And um, and I said, look, I know what I want to say, but I'm going to say this instead. Them being potentially clinically a little bit not quite right and mm. me being a bully are not mutually exclusive. It is possible that I am, in fact, a bully, mm. uh, that I'm not aware. And it's possible that they need some more training and support. So I would suggest that we probably both need looking into. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we both need to have some difficult conversations with our respective supervisors. And they were like, oh, we were kind of expecting that you would just drop it because mm. you're a bully. And I was like, no, no, it's entirely possible <laughs> I'm, I'm behaving in an unexpected <laughs> way and I'm not aware. You're just that guy. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that's yeah. what we need to get to because everyone's afraid yeah. of being accused of being a bully. Right? Something. But yeah, imagine yeah. instead of being afraid of being accused, we were welcoming the feedback. Like, wow, yeah. really? Mm. Did, did I behave that way? I I should really do better. I uh, am going to do this and that and the other. And if I do it again, you know, there will be consequences. I get that, right? Like that's that hierarchy yeah. again of reporting the Vanderbilt model. And we're just not there yet. But but we're we're a little bit further on than we were five or six years ago mm. when I started. Because when I started, no one, the only people who were sort of talking about it were the Australians, and even they were mm. much like me, very much in the early the early stages. Yeah. Um. But we're we're just starting to edge towards it. You know, you see people joking about like, "Oh, careful what you say, or someone will make you hammer it out." But I'm like, mm. "Yeah, cool. Joke about it. See if I care." Like, it, you've still mm. just challenged a negative behaviour. Yeah. Do, do you think the cultural belief is that the reason why we're not so receptive to feedback or so willing to is because in that model, we think step one is forget the coffee. You get struck off immediately. Do you think that belief is why, hold on, don't investigate yeah. me. Don't send me to a course. It's because I don't want to get struck off. Yeah, right. And it, and, it, and even that, again, is is it comes back to so bullying, as far as I'm concerned, is, is about power and about silence. Right. Bullying yeah. is. You know, I make you do or not do something and you feel like you can't speak up, speak back, speak out. Mm. And and that's the whole point is if you combine that with blame, it's like, shut up or I'll call the GMC. Mm. Right? Yeah. And of course, most people's response is like, okay. And we need to just move away from that model of A, blame, because that doesn't mm. bring around any sort of change. It doesn't bring around any sort of learning. All it does is hit you in the face. And, and it 
and we need to move away from that kind of toxic power that people have yeah. of like you better shut up and do what i want or i'm gonna fill out a datex or i'm yeah. gonna call the gmc yeah and again we're we're getting there and part of it is none of the, none of the stuff I talk about costs money. By the way, like everything I try uh, to do is is free. What it costs is time, because it's a lot easier for me to be like shut the fuck up, or I'm calling the GMC, mm. than be like, yeah. um, do you have 15 minutes? Uh, mm. It would be really good to talk about what happened in the MDT today, mm. and and we need to make time for that because we need to recognise that it pays off in the long run. Yeah. I want to ask for some advice at this stage that a lot of people probably will be afraid to ask. And that's so throughout medical school, me and Abdul have seen it. And F1 came along, I saw the same. F2 came, came along, I saw the same, which is people often are in a ward round or somewhere, uh, a doctor, and they'll get shouted out or something will happen or a job is missing. And we see them crying in the storeroom. And often the reaction is suck it up. But it goes on and on and on. There was a moment even for myself where I thought, damn, this job, I can't, I can't do this job for four months. And for me, thankfully, the team changed. The, the whole team changed. <laughs> I had new regs and I, I, I loved that. The, when, when the team changed, I loved them. But I thought for people who have to deal with that, who, who are being bullied, and I know the SJT exam that we sit says, yes, first talk to the consultant, talk to the person who's doing it to you. But it's very easier said than done. What do you do in those moments? Because let's be honest, it's still happening. It's going to happen tomorrow, I still believe. And it'll probably still happen a year later where doctors, junior doctors are being bullied and they're crying in a storeroom alone. What would you say, being someone who's an advocate of anti-bullying, what should they do? How would you advise them to go about it? Yeah, so I, like I, I agree with you. I, I know it's happening. The first thing is, I suppose if if it's something you witness, you have to make a decision about whether or not you feel you can step in at the time. And again, mm -hmm. you don't have to go like barreling in and be like, "Stop what you're doing." You can you can interrupt, and you know if so. If mm -hmm. Professor So and So is shouting at Simon, you can step mm -hmm. in and be like, "Oh, sorry, Prof. I, I can I can see you in the middle of something, but I, I just wanted to ask you. Is, so, do you want me to do mm -hmm. that right now?" And it kind of takes the wind out of their sails. Um, equally, if they're really shouting, there there is an argument for either the individual or or a, or a bystander to go. Do you think it's appropriate? Like, should we? You and again, you can even you can downplay it. You can say, should we be doing this here, like on the ward in the corridor in the you know? And again, it's like taking the wind out of their sails. Um, if you witness it, you don't always have to do something then and there. It is okay to want to go away and regroup. It's not ideal, but it is okay. And it is often the, the best way because especially if there's a really big power dynamic, you getting stuck in is gonna give them two people to shout at, like, and you, and like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you've got to decide whether you feel able to take it forward in some way or whether you need an ally. I would mm. suggest number one, uh, if you don't feel able to take it forward, there are loads of people in the hospital who will. There always are, right? Mm. So I bet if you think back to that job when you were F1 or F2, I'm sure there were some SHOs or some registrars or some bosses that you could speak to. 
Yeah. And often definitely. they're willing to have those conversations for you. And I've done it multiple times where I've had medical students or foundation doctors or core trainees or even other registrars come to me and say, Simon, look, this keeps happening and I don't know what to do about it and I don't feel I can do something about it. You're okay. Well, I, yeah. I will. Um, number two, uh, if you see someone crying in the cupboard, check in on your mate. Um, mm. It doesn't mean giving them a hug or whatever. It's not about breaching their boundaries, but but a lot of a lot of the power that exists in healthcare um, is also predicated on shame and guilt, right? Yeah. So I can't believe you did that. Look at the harm you've done this patient because you forgot to check the bloods today. Right, you're a bad doctor and a bad person because a yeah. good doctor would have done it. How dare you? My last house officer would never have done that. Blah blah blah. Back in my day, right? And it's not just <laughs> yeah. power; it's also shame and guilt heaped on top of that. And yeah. and whether it's you or a, or a colleague or a friend, there's something about just being like, just letting them know that they're not alone, and letting them know that they have nothing to be embarrassed about. And that this this perfectionist ideal that we wrap ourselves up in is just absolute mm. bullshit, and <laughs> and we need to normalize again making mistakes. People make mistakes all the time, and if you are so wrapped up in your own power that you've forgotten what it's like to make a mistake because mm. you never make mistakes, like that's a problem, right? Because I bet they do make mistakes, and I bet no one speaks to <laughs> yeah. them like that, right? Because yeah. power dynamic. So number one, check in on your mates. Just let them know that they're okay, they're safe, and and that it's okay to cock up because all mm. the best people cock up. Fact. Mm. Um, yeah. Number two, it needs challenging. Now, if you can't do it, there will be some allies around who will. But say they're mm. not around, hypothetically, every hospital has something called a freedom to speak up guardian. So mm. they will protect your anonymity and they're often not even in your specialty. So you can reach out to them and say, um, I don't know if you're aware, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be identified, but every time Dr. So-and-so is on the post-take ward round, at least three junior doctors end up either crying or going off sick with stress. Like, yeah, exactly. we, you know, this is what's happening. I've told you, do something about it. And the Freedom to Speak Up Guardian has, again, power with a capital p mm. to be like look you need to do something about this and then there are the other mechanisms like the gmc survey and all the rest yeah. but, mm. but it is possible to challenge these behaviors without painting a bullseye on your forehead and without getting into trouble and ruining your career and all that sort of stuff because and 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 this is where my frustration comes from and it's why i'm basically never going to quit unless they fire me is that all the stuff we're talking about is not going to change quickly. Yeah. Right? Because it's about changing the way people behave. And behaviors are wrapped up in, you know, core beliefs and personalities and all kinds of stuff. So it's not like yeah. you can click your fingers and change the way, you know, 80,000 doctors in a country behave. <laughs> yeah. But every little change we make is a step in the right direction. So if you complain to the freedom to speak up guardian and you you know and it and you complain to someone else and then it will go to their clinical director and it will go up the food chain and suddenly you realize that doctor so and so doesn't do post take ward rounds anymore 
mm. because they've had that cup of coffee with their boss because yeah, they're yeah. afraid and they've they've had a more serious cup of coffee and then they've had a chat with the director of medical education and they've had their trainees pulled and they'll sit there and they'll go Blah, grumble grumble you know millennial <laughs> uh, whatever but you know yeah. what if someone has had three or four conversations with you saying the way you behave is not okay maybe it's you <laughs> and, and I would hope, I would hope that when I make mm. mistakes and when I behave like an ass, someone lets mm. me know before it becomes mm. a pattern of behavior. So you've got to imagine, uh, one of my friends recently said it's um, it's a bit like having food in your teeth. Like, mm. like no one really wants to be told that they've been walking around for the last two hours looking like an idiot. <laughs> I hope that someone would tell you, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and it's the same thing. Like if you would just hope that someone, anyone, would would be like, by the way, and that's where we need to get to, right? We need to get to a socially, a, a societal, cultural point, whereby a bit like drink driving, you know, if you're pissed in a bar and you take out your car keys, a total stranger would say, "Do you want me to get you an Uber?" It's not, and no one's like, I'm calling the police, right? It's, <laughs> they don't, they don't go from zero to sixty, and they're like, well, I'm gonna, I, I'm citizens arrest. It's, it's not about blame. It's about change, right? It's about, yeah. You know what? Like, maybe you're not even aware that you've had three glasses of wine, not one. You know, maybe you shouldn't drive. And again, statistically, most people are like, well, yeah, you're, you're right. Actually, I'll, I'll get an Uber. I don't want to. I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to crash my car. I don't want to upset you, random stranger. Like it, <laughs> it's that we need to get to, and yeah, and you're right. It will still happen tomorrow, and I suspect it will still happen next year because yeah. culture change is generally takes years, yeah, and that's yeah. the nature of the beast. Yeah, and I think the medicine, as in the medicine of the way it's designed, or it's always been at two ends of the extreme. It's like when you're having an awesome day, you are having one of the best euphoric days ever. And it's the best job in the world. Absolutely. And when it is shit, I mean, you are kicking your head thinking, why don't I become a banker, yeah. lawyer? And I think that translates in all aspects. Even when you see something bad, you've uh, go the full mile, you're dating to them, you're sending an email, CCing the, the HEE director and everyone. <laughs> or it's at the other end and you're not doing anything about it and you're just keeping your mouth shut and kind of letting it slide by. Because it's a privilege. You're the first person to go uni, get a medical job. You don't want to mess it up for your future generations. Mm. I think I feel a lot of medicine is like that at even spectrum, which I don't know how it is. Yeah. I don't know what your um, research is in other sectors. But I, I think you're absolutely right, right? And and none of us are expecting every day at work to be rainbows and high fives. But mm. But if you have a bad day at work, it shouldn't be because your boss screamed in your face and called you a moron right mm. if you have a bad day at work it shouldn't be because you feel like you don't fit in like you've been infantilized and someone's been making mm. racist and homophobic jokes all day yeah. if you have a bad day at work it shouldn't be because someone has threatened your career because you dropped mm. a pen like everyone's good and also the flip side is if you have a bad day at work it should be because you've had some some tough feedback, right? Someone's told you that you did mm. something badly and they've sat you down mm. and they've told you that you've made a mistake and you're you're feeling rubbish about it and it's a bad day. That's a bad day at work that's okay, 
right? It mm, shouldn't be yeah. that you were told you're an idiot for making a mistake. Yeah. Bad yeah. days, and, and that's the thing is no one is asking everyone in healthcare to suddenly become these angels and all of these doctors to become these flawless individuals who never do anything wrong or say anything wrong or behave in a way that is not acceptable. What we're saying mm. is some things probably just shouldn't exist in the workplace. They yeah. Just, yeah. just shouldn't, right? No one, no one's bad day at work should result in them sobbing in like the drugs cab cupboard in on a ward. It that that shouldn't happen. You, you mm. but but it is okay to make mistakes and it is okay to have a bad day at work and that's that's part of the narrative, right? Because what people say is like, oh well, I well I can't I can't tell my foundation doctor that they screwed up. Then I don't know, of course you can. In fact, yeah, it's your yeah, you should. Yeah. But how you do it, the language you mm. use, the behavior, the way you do it, that that's the bit we need to change. Because I want yeah. feedback. I want to know how to be better at my job. I want to know when I've made a mistake. Mm. I don't want to be called a moron in the middle of the <laughs> doctor's mess. Like, yeah. that's the point. As we're talking, actually, um, there's a few consultants and regs that come to mind for their brilliant culture that they've created. And I'm just thinking about it now in those, those amazing moments, months, days, I remember they would give me some amazing feedback. Learning opportunities would be abundant when I would get things wrong. They wouldn't put it in a way where, oh, you did, you've done this absolutely wrong. It would be you've done it like this, but this is how I suggest is better. And then they've actually said, OK, let's do this procedure together and I'll show you now how to do even better. Um, and I actually found that I was happier. I wanted to go into work. The evidence suggests that none of us are looking for like an easy ride. We want to be mm, good yeah. at what we do. We want feedback. We want, or Absolutely. at least the best of us want, want feedback. We, we, we want to be assessed. We are reflective. But because we are reflective and because we hold ourselves already to those high standards, yeah, we also know when the feedback we're getting or the way we're being treated is not right. And you're like, yeah, exactly. I don't deserve to be spoken to that way. I know, you know, yes, I made a mistake. And yes, it was undeniably because of things I did. But still, there is a way of feeding back to me that is crouched in, in respect and uh, wanting to see me, again, learn and change and do better. And that isn't Absolutely. just about making me feel small and stupid great about you and i don't know if it's the case it feels like you're a one-man army i don't know if you have a team it's a lot of pressure for you to kind of deal with this big change and we definitely need people like yourselves who you know i'm always been someone a bit timid i don't want to you know i don't like confrontation you know i don't want to lose my job type of thing how has it weighed down on you i don't know if it's a bit of a personal question type of thing but i feel that's a lot to carry do you know what i mean it, there's there's bits there's bits of what i do that is they're undeniably on me and there are other mm. bits of what i do that really aren't and and that's how it works out so yes i am under an, a reasonably decent amount of stress because i'm the guy right i'm the hammered out guy and mm. the culture change guy and i yeah I, you know before covid I, I traveled around the world giving talks and all the rest but part of that is to address exactly what you're talking about, which is um, <laughs> like a pyramid scheme, right? So if I, if I, my theory was, and it's working out reasonably well, 
if I go around shouting from the rooftops, advocating for change, other people will take it up as well. Yeah. So I never really, when obviously when I was on the, the voter committee, I had a team and resources and all the rest, but I've never really had a, a budget ever, mm. like me and my phone. But you know, there are some amazing culture change programs going on now in other specialties, uh, in undergraduate education, postgraduate education, in other countries where yeah. I've spoken to them. I've gone, here's how you might want to do it. Here are some ideas, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it because it needs to resonate with you. It, it yeah. needs to feel authentic to you, right? You don't want some random guy coming along and being like, this is how you do it. You lay out a series of principles and ideas and you go, now do what you want with it. And so on one hand, I'm still under a huge amount of pressure because I'm the guy. But on the other hand, mm. you hear about this rotation has started this and this Royal College has started that. And mm. and that's the point is, is you want it to grow exponentially. Like I can't wait until the day when no one wants to hear from me anymore. They're like, we've got it. We're, we're, then your work is done. Your yeah, work right. is done. Right. <laughs> In a weird way. Until, until every college, every faculty, every medical school, every rotation, every hospital and every unit doesn't need me anymore. It's not a problem. Mm. They've, mm. Got their, they've got their campaign or their principles or the culture has changed mm. and it's just not a thing, right? Yeah. And the problem is I recognize that to get to that point will probably be something like 10 or 20 years that's what the evidence yeah. around change suggests and i knew mm -hmm. that going in and until then i guess it's just what i've chosen to to put a lot of my effort into but you're mm -hmm. right like it, it would be it would be nice if i had an army of people and a massive budget but i but i don't um mm -hmm. so my theory is i try and empower and this is really wanky. I try and empower and inspire mm. people who do have teams and budgets. Like that's uh -huh. the goal, right? Is so that yeah. people know we we could do that, right? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We've got these people who could do a day a week and we've got this budget and we could do these comms and we could do this podcast and we could do this infographic. And you're like, mm. yeah, okay, you mm. go, go do that. And, and that's part of this too like i get a lot of joy sitting back and looking at all the different things that have started up all over the country and all over the world and know that i am a small part of shimmying that work along um mm. but yeah like it's it, part of it i kind of enjoy the pressure like i i became an orthopedic surgeon because i wanted to fix stuff but also i kind of like that high pressure high yeah. demand you know mm. play big win big but lose big thing that's that's something that i enjoy so it means that yeah i i give talks to big important organizations on my own but mm. then if that big important organization go yeah cool we'll do something about that it's great and it's worth it yeah yeah no it really is um i'm conscious of time and i've really enjoyed kind of listening to you Hearing this out, and it's kind People of been like, like hours. I was like, careful. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 needed, and I think if any other time, now is the time to to start changing exactly. culture. Um, and I feel you're doing amazing and fantastic job. 
Um, so keep doing what you are. And if if any listeners are hearing this, I really do hope that if they are going through anything or if they are a change maker, they can do something similar. Mm. Um, but it's been a massive, massive pleasure. And if if you want to have one piece of advice that you could share, um, go for it. I think, you know. Um, I would say, don't let anyone tell you that you're too young or too junior or too inexperienced to do something. A baby shark is still a fucking shark. Like if you think <laughs> that there's something that needs changing, go on and change it. Perfect. We're going to use oh, it as a man, snippet. That is amazing. That's the snippet. <laughs> no, I love that. I actually do love that. That's, that's amazing. Um, no, thank you. I don't think there's any more apps yeah. we can add. We might need a part two, part yeah. three even later on. Um, yeah. But we'll be back in contact. <laughs> uh, it's been an absolute, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Simon, for taking the time out to do this with us. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Simon.